0: Happy New Year, Simon, first of all. <laughs> I don't think we've exchanged those happy new year greetings yet, but uh Happy
1: New Year to you too, too, Phil.
0: Yeah, thank you, Simon. And it's uh it's fantastic that we've managed to um find some time in your busy diary to join us on the sales transformation podcast master series in, in, in fact this is the the first one we've we're doing this year so it's kind of special it's the kickoff to the year
1: simon so what a great start to the new year that's what you're thinking yes <laughs> yeah.
0: great it's a really great start so um just just uh before bats we can go into it if i can give the listeners a little bit of a background is that um that simon has uh been through you know our masters program and 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 through that experience has been really interesting to see how simon has um applied himself to you know the challenge of sales leadership and sales management and in particular to the way in which he's been now managing a team of young sales apprenticeships and so what i hope we can cover on the um on this particular uh, masterclass is is to get some insights from Simon about the journey that he's been on whilst at Royal Mail, and and uh, and we'll ask Simon to say a few words um, about uh, his 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 current role, um, and then to talk about his kind of learning experiences and how he sees his future developing as well. So, Simon, wonderful to have you with us. Thank you very much, Philip. So Simon, I wonder if we could start with you just giving a a sort of a potted history about who you are and how you've got to be where you are at Royal Mail.
1: Okay, Uh, I joined Royal Mail back when I was 16, um, straight out of school, straight into Royal Mail. Uh, I've been now with Royal Mail nearly 40 years, 40 40 years in September. (laughs) It's a long time, isn't it? It's quite a while, yes. It's quite a yeah. while to be in one place. Um, so, and it's it's quite, it's 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 really quite interesting the fact that because I've been in a place for so long, you would think you'd become really, really institutionalised, and I did. <laughs> um, I I reached a point where I'd gone through uh, some roles within operations, starting off delivering as a postman, and worked my way through and took myself into a sales uh, um part of the business so I went into commercial around about 20 years ago and probably um I've I've worked within commercial now for 20 years but I've worked within account management and worked within new business so it always felt like I was going through changes and doing different things yeah. um but um yeah we'll we'll talk through we'll talk more, through that it really, what really does feel like shortly so yeah I, I've kind of been around a while, seen a lot of things, yeah. um, and plenty of experience under the belt.
0: So, just a just a question: about how many people actually sort of move from from being a postie sort of into, you know, the commercial or operational side of the post office or raw mail?
1: That would be hard for me to guess, but I would say less than a handful of people will have made yeah. that journey.
0: Yeah absolutely
1: amazing so what okay so
0: so another question for you at what point and what made you kind of consider switching from operations into sales what 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 triggered that that role into the more sort of commercial aspect of the business
1: um i think the trigger was basically um it's going to sound bad this but I was, I was going through a, a divorce yeah. In these moments, you kind of think, well, life's got to be different.
2: Yeah.
1: And I was, be- I was going to become a single parent, so I was going to be looking after my two children. I thought, wow. working shifts is not going to be what I need. I need a change. Yeah. And I was quite fortunate at the time that they were building a sales uh, force within Royal Mail, because as you probably recognize, we were a service before, and yeah. everything was kind of transactional. Uh, and then once we went into this place where we were moving towards being into a public zone, yeah we needed sales force to start c- competing against other competitors, basically, yeah, and so at, at that point i seized I seized the opportunity to to transfer across, which wasn't easy because what i what I had to do at the time was um work weekends and then take up a secondary job in sales Monday to Friday in order to give me some experience to to help me with that transition so Wow. Um, yeah, it was a life changing moment. Uh, I suppose wow. you can call within my own personal life, which drove
0: yeah. the change in my work life. Yeah. No, I didn't realize that Simon. So, so that's, uh, that's an amazing journey that you've kind of been on. So maybe you, you could bring us up to speed with what your role is today. So, so I know that, you know, you know, that Royal Mail have gone through so many changes and we had, um, John Nicholson actually talking about some of these at the recent GST event that we had at the Stock Exchange. Um, but um, perhaps you could just talk through um, the kind of role that you've 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 currently got at Royal Mail.
1: Yeah, so I look after a a sales center, a new business team, um 23 okay. individuals within my team. Uh, and that team um looks after basically small accounts. So what we would term small accounts, so anything less than a million pounds worth of spend is is what we would term as a small okay. account in our kind of structure because it's, it's huge, the kind of customer yeah. base we have. Um, so we look after a, a lot of companies and we help a lot of companies to grow. Um, okay. That's basically what we're there to do, to try and help people, support people as best we can.
0: Right. So you've got 20, did you say 23 people in your...
1: 23, team? yeah you've got 23
0: uh, people in your team and basically these are uh people who are based uh inside they're not on the road is that right they're in a, a kind of center where they're yes. supporting those um small to medium-sized businesses but actually you know quite some of them are going to be quite large if they're spending a, a million with you
1: yes they're, they're like so again it's, it's a question of scale um yeah we we are desk based, uh, and that 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 provides a great platform actually for the things that we went through yeah. being faced because, um, we were an organisation where we were having an aging sales force. Yeah, and um, when you're looking to sort of bring new people in, you, you've got to think right. What's what's our structure going to be? Because we're kind of bringing in similar ages. We would like to try and kind of future proof ourselves. Yeah, so this was. This was our, one of our sales director's visions that, right, we, this is where we're at and here's where we'd like to be. And I guess one of the things as well that were in consideration was we kind of recirculate quite a lot of the same faces sometimes. You know, yeah. in industries, you get people who have got X amount of experience. So you, you, when you are advertising roles, you want to bring in people with X amount of experience. Yeah. But not necessarily is that what you uh, want. 'Cause their experiences might not be what you would like. So we went through this little bit of a well a, a massive change actually in how we brought in people.
0: Yes. Um uh, yeah, that's uh, amazing. And we we were um, you know, I, I think we were in a way part of those discussions when we were working with Roll Mail in the Trailblazer group that set up the sort of sales apprenticeships and uh, as a means of attracting some of these younger people uh, mm-hmm. into enterprises uh, working alongside Graham Davis at the time, you know he was the chair of that group and uh, and um of course uh, andre uh in 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 the background um but I think that quite a number of these young sales apprentices have ended up in your team is is, is that right or a number i think a reasonable
1: number have ended up a reasonable number yeah so um i've had 11 apprentices come through uh, in the course of the three cohorts which is quite a number yeah um, That uh, quite a percentage with within with royal mail are coming through this yeah. office um we've Had those across three cohorts um, across a number of years. And it's been been really, really interesting to see the changes that have happened through this. So I've got to be honest with you, when it was first muted and we were first bringing in the first set of apprentices, um, I kind of had people in that first sort of week or so within the room. Because I've got a room basically at this point where most people have got somewhere roundabout in their teens worth of experience working within raw Mail Sales. Yeah. So, you know, 16 years onwards. And suddenly we were getting these people in that no sales experience, only just left school. <laughs> and we're like, what, what are we doing with these children coming into work? Like, yeah. They, yeah. That how can they know sales? And that was quite interesting. To that was the start point, if you will. So you've got these you, you these apprentices coming in, really excited to have an opportunity to do something. Yeah. Being the very first ones to do sales degrees, so they were super yeah. excited, yeah. Uh, and it, it was a, a, a really good mixture. Interesting to see at the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess from from both sides, you know, um, it, it's not just those that have been established in the business. I guess perhaps rather cynically, you know, perhaps or cynical may not be quite the right word, but sort of, yeah, exactly like you say, you know, what can these school kids do? You know, I've been around for 16, 17 years uh, plus. <laughs> yeah. But it's also going to be a bit of a challenge for them because they 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 <clears throat> they're, they're coming into an environment where <clears throat> You know their their social connections are going to be you know with schoolmates of you know seventeen eighteen years old and they're sitting in a room now with people you know what in their mid thirties plus you know and they must have wondered what on earth are they doing? <laughs>
1: yeah, of. well, not just them, myself too included. Suddenly, I had this this group no. of people. Now, fortunately, I've got two young young uh, boys. By well, the way, young, not okay. anymore. They're, that um, at the time they'll have been about 20. So okay. I had experience with younger people as in personal life, but yeah. I'd never thought about the complications with it in work life. Okay. And um, they think different. Okay. So you, 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 I, I I didn't recognise it at the time, but I had become very entrenched in the way that I thought, the way that I did things, and the yeah. way that I saw things. And I've got to... Not shamefully, but I I hold my hand up and say, I was kind of thinking, I'm really not sure what I'm going to do with these people. I have no idea how I'm going to give them the experience they need. So I thought it was going to be me giving. Okay.
0: Well, could you talk me through then, you know, some of the, you know, what your journey's been like and what your reflections have been as a consequence, but, you know, both for the apprentices coming into the business, but also those that have been, sort of well established you know how, how how was that journey for you what what did you learn or well, what have you
1: learned about it so um i guess there's a, there's a plethora of things that i've learned um right at the very very beginning this was about how, how do i blend an office where half of them think that they shouldn't be here half of them think i don't know how to be here how do I blend that? So there was a real yeah. challenge there on creating that kind of office and I had no idea how to do that. Uh, ideas were out completely. But what, what actually happened was it was quite, uh, quite, a, quite unexpected, I think is probably the word for me. What started to happen was within the first couple of weeks, people started to build some relationships and you get those ones that are Quite um, quite chatty, and they start to connect. and yeah. we were doing the basics of helping people trading, so learn products and stuff like that, and how to do certain things with um, software and whatever. So people started to connect. Then what really started to happen was that the the apprentices were listening, and at that point, the people in the room suddenly started to feel. I can only describe getting more engaged with working with them because they were like, yeah, I'm helpful here. I'm helping you. And they were getting something back from that. Yeah. I recognize what that is now, but I didn't at the time. I was like, oh this is going quite well. They're, they're blending together. This is nice. Yeah. But then what started to happen is the apprentices began to go and learn. They were starting to, to question some of the ways that we did things, the way that we saw things and the way that we spoke to customers. And indeed, the way that we did some research on trying to find a customer base, then actually it started to go back. The information travel started to go back in the other direction, Okay, which was surprising for all. Yeah. Really interesting to see. And suddenly it was like this joint respect started to happen within the room. And age seemed to stop being a difference for, I won't say for everyone straight away, but it was bleeding through the room, if that makes sense. as. Everybody started to add a bit more value into what they were doing. It was really a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, it's amazing. And and whilst this was going on, am I right in saying that this is when you were doing your master's programme as well?
1: No, so what, what happened was um, I was, as, as part of the apprenticeship programme, you, you joined these triad, uh, triad meeting, tripart yeah. meetings, tripartite meetings.
0: Tripartite but- meetings, yeah.
1: And I was spending a lot of time with the apprentices talking to them through what is it you're doing? How are you doing that? And trying to help them with how they might um, yeah. present. present that and their thought processes. Just basically, I didn't have any answers from I was like, well, I'm just really interested in what you're doing. So that's how it started for me. I was like, I'm really interested in this. Let me help, help me understand what is you doing? Because I don't want to go to these tripart park meetings and not have a clue. And that was my my real reason for starting to get involved with it. I just didn't want to embarrass myself in front of somebody else, thinking, you oh, don't know what you're talking about.
0: Oh, actually,
1: okay. so what happened though, for me was suddenly, because I, I, I'm not academic, Philip, whatsoever. As you can tell, you leave school at 16. Yeah, you're yeah. really not focused on, on opening your mind and really, you know, really expanding it. And a lot of time has traveled I was I was fifty when this started to happen, and a lot of time I passed them. They were, and I was like, "Learning's not for me." But actually, what started to happen when I was talking to them, I realised that advanced learning is not a right and wrong choice. Yeah, advanced learning is about you thinking about a, a situation, an issue, or something that's um, relevant to you in what you're doing, and then you thinking that you consider the possible different views on it. And you you you, you can, you're comparing and contrasting different views upon something that's known and coming out with your own, and I was like, "Wow, I, I've never done something like that. This is really, really interesting, and it absolutely started to create something in my brain that was' that's, that's never been there. I was like, I'm enjoying this, yeah, yeah. yes."
0: Uh, I mean, it, it's so interesting hearing you talk about that, and 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 so just just to summarize, where I what you know was I think you've just been kind of sharing is that you decided to embark yourself on the um, master's program mm. because you had these young apprentices who are on the undergraduate program, and that you were you, your initial trigger was one of wanting to be ahead of the curve to some extent, or at least yeah. experience what they're going through. So you could connect and relate to them, uh, but as well as perhaps develop some leadership skills, you know, in that in that process. But then what you've, and it's so interesting, it's because I sometimes think that it's an, a disadvantage to do the master's program if you have already done an undergraduate or another type of postgraduate degree, um, because you come into it with a, a, a no bias at all, because you don't quite know what to expect. Yeah, you're not trying to go back to how you used to write academic pre- papers when you were doing the undergraduate degree, um, uh, and, um, and and so we quite often find that people. Come into the program initially very worried about doing the master's, not having been, you know, should I be here? Do I have a right to be on this master's program even? But yet realizing you've got this wealth of knowledge and experience and this opportunity to critically reflect, which is one of the core skills of the master's program and what you're doing and, you know, getting energy from the new ideas that you've developed.
1: Beautifully summarized there. <laughs> yes, that is basically what what was happening to me. And again, yeah. I wasn't in a place where I could recognize that at that point.
2: Yeah,
1: I just course. knew that. Actually, I feel. I guess the only way I can I can describe it is I feel alive again. Yeah, I feel invigorated, and so I, I took a plunge and, like you say, I went into to do the masters in senior sales leadership. And right up until the point of that first meeting that we had, where all of the co- all of the cohort met together yeah. down in Middlesex, I was absolutely uh, saying to myself, "What am I doing?" Yeah. As you rightly said, then I I, I do not belong in a university. Yeah. I left school at 16 with nothing. With nothing, yeah. And I, I'm kidding myself. Yeah. And there's I'm all not- that self-doubt that comes in, but what I'd seen was actually, this is not about passing a test. This is just about this. And I kept having to tell, reinforce that with myself to keep myself pushing through at the early stages. And it's it's really great that when you go into it, you you meet other people from other industries. And actually what you're getting then is a real, a real different view on absolutely everything. Yeah. Yeah. If you think about where I've been, I've been either in a school, Institutionalized or in uh, royal metal institutionalized yeah. I have not very little experience of the outside yeah. world, and that was a massive a massive yeah. plus for me on the master's course, that blending that, yeah, that yeah. ability to talk to people and exchange ideas from probably huge different viewpoints yeah, which again it just it just opens up your brain
2: yeah there's
1: a, an interesting thing that I found out during during all the research and the stuff that I did. When, it, when by the time you reach the age of 35, 95% of thought is already pre-programmed. Yeah. yeah. Free thinking is 5% of what you do. Yeah. yeah. So if I, if I can just draw the picture of that, you, you kind of, as you go through life's experiences, if I touch something that's hot, my brain says, don't touch hot things because that's not good for you. So it, you wouldn't, as you reach out towards something hot, your brain goes, No, that's gonna be hot, it's gonna hurt you. Move away. You think, right, okay, what we'll do that? 95% of stuff of what you do and you think about is done and dusted before you even go anywhere like near it. Yeah. Your brain's, boom. And I was thinking, actually, I'd like to think different, be different. And it wasn't until I started doing the masters that I realized that although I'd been in sales for 20 years, I had Gone rigid into this almost rut-like process that said, "This works. I'm not changing this. It doesn't matter that the world is changing, the environment's changing, the way that customers interact is changing. This is what we do. This is how we're doing it. It's tried. It's trusted." This got me starting to think differently, be different, and I guess the word you look, I'm looking for is it's become more agile in what yeah. was happening, and then, then how we would, how I would deal with that. But most importantly for me, because I'm a, I'm a team, at the time I was a manager, I was managing people and I needed them to change. Yeah. So, what happened as I went into the masters, I recognized, I did, did this section, uh, a module on it, and it changed everything for me emotional intelligence. Yes, yeah. People talk an awful lot about emotional intelligence as though they understand it. Yeah. I would wager 90% of people know the titles but have, have not probably gone into the depths of that reflection upon themselves about trying to understand and slow their slow that auto process those 95 percent of thoughts that just come in and you just didn't stop them and think is that the way to do it is yeah. that what i should do and that to me was a moment and what i did feel was uh, i, I I said, right, I'm going to do things differently. And we were going through some big changes within our organisation. So I said, right, I've got to set a vision for my team. And I want to keep my vision simple. And I stole something unashamedly from um, a guy called Chad Mentan, who said, and he's, he's a real, he really exposed emotional intelligence for me. I watched a video of his where he was um, talking on um, TED Talks to Google, the team right. at Google. And it was basically, he said, "I have one one focus that all I want to do, and the only thing I want to do is be at peace, and that makes people happy and makes me happy." And I'm like, Thank "Whoa, you. that's interesting. How does one become at peace?" <laughs> and that's where that's where I really started to look at things. So I set the the vision for the team to say, "Right, we need to be agile. We need to change, and here's what we're going to do. I'm going to. I want us to create a place of." Happiness. This room will be happy, and here's how we're going to do it. And it was a bit telling, bit bit tell to start off with because I wanted to change things. And what I said was, "You are going to see a different me, and I need you to challenge me if I am if I behave in these ways." Yeah. And I set out the behaviour that I didn't want to see in myself anymore, which is really yeah, yeah. massive, massive for me matter.
2: because that
0: changed me. Yeah, I think. You're so right. I, I think emotional intelligence is is such a a great topic, and the, and and of course you've got you know the 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 founder of that sort of Goleman, you know is is you know he, he, he we owe a lot to him for putting EQ actually on the map. And just out of out of interest, thinking about our podcast on the Today program. On Radio four, I was listening to them talking about his work and he he's done a recent study i t- tried to look it up actually just before the podcast um, which was that he he looks at data um, on a national level and i think he look and he's been tracking i q and eq you know in his view eq is more important than iq um and with the analysis of particular things like Twitter feeds and social media, there's a sort of vitriol that you actually see in quite a lot of the communications. And he feels that we are losing EQ. The trend the trend is negatively downwards on EQ, whereas IQ seems to be going up a bit. But um, from, from his analysis, I'd like to get the source of that. More established, but it, it was talked about on on the Today program. Uh, I think it was even yesterday. You know, something really recent.
1: <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's really interesting because if you think about the way we are at the moment in society, we're yeah. focused at the moment on how people feel. Yeah, and be, being receptive to those feelings. Yeah, emotional in intelligence it needs to be right right up there, and it's got to be right up there. Yeah, in the way that we manage people these days. But also, most importantly, I feel people manage themselves, right? And I think if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be judgmental just for a moment, I feel that in society at the moment we're excusing that a little bit. Yeah. That you take responsibility for you. And that's where yeah. emotional intelligence begins for me. Anyway, it's about you owning you and you understanding you and how you affect those around. Yeah. So
0: you know, you're talking about some fairly heady subjects and I can picture now your team of, you know, you've got your team. You <laughs> no. can see the youngsters probably lapping it up, but I'm, I'm just wondering about how the others are now seeing both the young apprentices coming into the business and learning. They're seeing you doing the masters and coming up with these different ideas and frameworks thinking, oh my goodness, where's Simon taking us now? Um, but could you talk through about uh, I mean, I know we've talked about it before—the sort of ripple effect that um, that you've seen being created with some of the initiatives you've taken in your team.
1: Yeah, so I guess well, we'll the, the ripple effect, as I describe it, is basically people are seeing other people do these things, and they're talking about what they learn and what they're thinking differently, and that's encouraged other ones to start. So we, the the culture within the business as well, and within my organisation, yeah. was all about. Uh, looking to continually improve. How can we help people to develop and put some yeah. programs in place where they can do some self development? So, the opportunity was beginning to be created by the business. So, we had apprenticeship schemes, we had uh, leadership schemes, and all these variable programs that people could do. And within my room, um, I got sort of people who have been in there 15, 20 years suddenly wanting to apply for all these different courses. So some people who've been there and gone, I'm quite happy doing what I'm doing, suddenly yeah. went, actually, I'm no longer feeling that fulfilled. I want to push myself. And they enrolled upon these programs. And it that then creates that, again, it's that ripple effect that goes where other people go, well, if they're doing that, what could I do? Yeah. And people started to look at what they could do. And we were starting to look at, why don't we share simple things like bringing books, and share books that we found quite inspirational. Yeah. And so there was a little library developing in the room where people were going, well, I've read that and it's really good. Yeah. And I found that interesting. And then people were talking about how that was starting to affect them in, in the way that they behave within their home life. Because mm-hmm. again, that ripple effect is whatever you're doing, whatever you're learning is going to change your whole brain structure, the way that it works. Hopefully, or I did for me, and it yeah. has for others that I've seen, the way that they take on life has changed mm. the way that they react has
0: changed it's, yeah, yeah. it's amazing to see and, and i mean that you know we talk a lot about transformation and uh, the heart of transformation is when you start to address you know one's core uh sort of values and belief systems and it sounds very much the story that you've been sharing is that you've gone through this journey yourself at a very personal level and that sort of helped create change and transformation with other people as well because they've begun to question themselves you know do yeah. i you know what do i need to do to be more fulfilled in my work and so on which is incredible can i ask you some questions about performance because you know we're in a fairly pressurized commercial world we've been talking about apprenticeships and development and training and emotional intelligence um, but what impact have you seen on the performance of your your team? Um, you know, as a, you know, in terms of kind of objectives that you've been set and realising them. Uh, perhaps you could talk a little bit about what you've observed from that point of view.
1: Yeah, so it's always an ever changing world, and in sales where, where I work, it's high pressured uh, yeah. and high expe- high expectations. And it's, it's relentless. It's, yeah. it's a clock that just keeps turning. We go from quarter to quarter on targets and it yeah. just keeps the pressure never relents. Yeah. And I think what, um, what we've been learning to do over the last couple of years, which we've focused on massively in the room, is this thing that people now call well being, but it's about trying to stay in a place where you feel you're in control of what you're doing so you can achieve what you can do. So I can only talk hypothetically on what I think would have happened had had we not embarked upon this whole thing. Okay. For the first moment, if I can. Hypothetically, I believe that we would not have caught. I would have been a different person. I would probably have been very tell, very unhelpful, and very unempathetic with people. And probably people would have been, I believe, in a place where they would have hit the stress levels and we would have been into lots of sick zones and probably lots of people going off. And that's more in my opinion upon hypothetically where we yeah. might have been. Because what I've seen is people, as they're going through this process, as we've been asked to do more, the dial is always being turned up. We're asking each other, and supporting each other in a collaborative kind of way of going, right, this is what Yeah. it is. Yeah. How, what is it we're going to do? We've done that as a group collectively and we've done that as individuals in coaching sessions, which has been the difference for me that we've managed to keep pace. Okay. So we've been hitting targets when it's not possible to well not 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 probable. Okay. It's been tough times. We've been in industrial action. Yeah, yeah. Yeah yeah. And yeah. we've still managed to draw through and get those targets hit. And it's it's that resilience. Yeah yeah that we've created and it's really hard to pinpoint certain things. The fact that we're maintaining great pace and people people are still getting better. That efficiency and effectiveness that we do. So we're a little bit more efficient in what we do. The ideas we pool in there to try and change things and behaviours within the room. Yeah. It's getting slicker. And that belief that actually, I, I don't want to live the same day every day. Every day is different. Yeah, yeah. And people are approached that way. So, we're, we're, we're uh, hitting numbers and people are in a good place. Fantastic. What more can you ask for from a team, I think? Yeah, yeah no,
0: it's interesting that, um, I mean, uh, it's been very public, the challenges that Royal Mail have been facing, uh, you know, uh, with both the pandemic and then, of course, the strike action and then the cyber attack that, you know, affected the organisation. Um, and it's uh it's a bit like imagining someone in a boxing rink, I think. You know, you're sort of getting these blows. I think possibly more so than other organizations, you know, because you've had these, you know, the cyber attack was very specific to Royal Mail Group and it was very public, and you know, the strike action was was very visible. Not not every organization has had to deal with these kind of very strong prevailing winds, but it's been extraordinary how the organization has sort of coped with that. And it's really interesting to hear, you know, when it comes down to where the rubber hits the road, which is where your team is, your team is the rubber that is, it hits the road with customer conversations, how in spite of all that you've managed to, like you say, hit, hit ever-increasing targets and and still, you know, be in a good place. I mean, I think that's a fantastic accolade. Um, can i come back to the young apprentices that have joined you you've had 11 come into your team and i guess some of these have moved on inside the organization you know is there a is there a journey you've seen how are they doing now Uh, how are they doing in the in the the company or outside the company
1: so it makes me smile when i talk about this because um this is all about where people want to take themselves so these young these youngsters came in to do an apprenticeship, not really sure what would happen at the outcome of it. I yeah. had three cohorts as you say, so eleven people going through yeah, and of those eleven, nine of them have either got into a uh, into promotion okay either inside our business or outside our business into a different role so not always do you get the outcome uh, um, yeah. that um, <laughs> People who are starting to find and really understand themselves and realise the potential they have or what they would like to do, yeah. as that opens up, as they're learning and doing, they might end up going to a different company. And that's something that, you know, we kind of anticipated, but we didn't think would happen so much. But it did. It happened to some. But others are now providing greater benefits to this business, They're adding more value because they've gone into different levels of roles providing a different viewpoint in the way that they do things yeah. one of them working actually in, um came into sales to do a, a sales apprenticeship he's now doing project management that's where he's found himself his brain yeah. just worked that way and he's adding massive value to our business yeah, doing, yeah. doing, and I, I could talk about other ones as well it just it makes me smile yeah. that all of them are now are either promoted or in development roles Okay. Where they're on their way to it so the value that they're now beginning to add uh, add to our company to our organization um we'll, we'll we'll starting to see that arrive i believe i mean we yeah. saw that as they change the dynamic within my room but now it's spreading across the mm-hmm. business yeah
0: yeah um the uh so I, I i you know talking to various customers of ours who you've you've taken on these youngsters out of school and put put them through the degree apprenticeship there's always an interesting question which is you now how long does it take for these youngsters to you know to start to perform in terms of customer conversations at a level that is either close to or equal to some of the others that have been in the business for longer periods of time You know how how long has it taken them to sort of ramp up? I I guess that's the question. And um,
1: interesting question. Um, so they probably I've got to to give a generic kind of an answer because everybody's different. Yeah. In what the the speed that they're able to operate. Um, the probably. Somewhere in that region of the first year to two years is when we started to see the benefits into what they were doing within the organisation. So that first year is all about really learning. Yeah. But then putting in and getting to grips with their role and actually starting to do it slightly different. Okay. And ask the questions slightly different. Right. That started to really happen. So. At first, when they come in, they go, well, in order to do this job, I'm going to do what you do. Yeah. But then as they learn and they get into their apprenticeship program, they're suddenly going, actually, you say that you do that, but the laws of reciprocation say that if I do this, he will do that. Yeah. People are going, oh, okay. And the way that you're prioritizing your workload, how do you do yeah. that? I use this four-box matrix. What do you do? What do you mean a four-box matrix? I just look at what was screaming the most. And, and it was that suddenly that exchange started to happen during that first sort of one to two years at yeah, different yeah. levels of different people depending upon their confidence and then yeah. acceleration of learning because we all learn at different speeds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then that was when all things started to happen and move. And as we got to that second, I think that second, end of the second year, we were brought in the second cohort then yeah. And then it really began to accelerate up. Oh, yeah, yeah. suddenly those ones who were on the first apprenticeship were like, Yeah, I've been here, I've done this, I've learned this. Is this is the way we're gonna do things. And yeah. I stepped back and helped that and let them sort of develop a, a training program. What is it you would want differently? What is it you would do? And for the very first time I was starting to instead of thinking I had all the answers, I was yeah. listening to other people with great ideas, great brains. Yeah. Fantastic.
0: And that changed dynamics hugely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fantastic story. Um, so Simon, let's move on to you now, because I, you know, sort of where where is your you know, you talk about emotional intelligence, but I know that there there are other things that are sort of bubbling through because you're you're not someone that sits down and, and stops. <laughs> I get the no. sense. You're on this great transformation journey. So can you, can you sort of talk me through where, where you're at now in terms of your personal development and 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 where you see your future in sort of developing?
1: Yeah, my future, it, it's as a almost 56-year-old, you think, yeah, you should be easing up now, going towards whatever you want to do and just relaxing. Quite the contrary. Quite the contrary, Phil. At the moment, I have never felt so invigorated in my life Couple of things. My brain is now stimulated, and I've always been into physical stuff.
2: Okay. So I love
1: activity, love exercise, and fortunately for me, when COVID struck, I was in that module around that emotional intelligence. So I'm like, oh now then, this might help me here and help me to understand me," and it helped me to start thinking about what I could and could do because I couldn't go into a gym, and that was like for me that that keeps me centered. If I don't go in a gym. An exercise, I'll explode. I won't be at a call. My brain was like, what am I going to do? And it suddenly just helped me to deal with that process. And I started yeah. to think quite differently. Like, what can you do different? And so I started to think about, well, I can't do a resistance training, which is what I like to do, but I can run, which I don't like, and I can stretch, which I've never done.
2: Okay.
1: And actually what it started to do was get me to start to think, Instead of like emotional intelligence where you're thinking about your brain, it got me thinking about my body and okay. what it does and why it does. And why do I want to do that? And what is it I'm ultimately after? What's the purpose of what I'm doing? And it got me going really deep into my thoughts. And so I started to develop my own methodology around exercise. Okay. And it was all started off really about trying to understand you and how you feel when you do something. What does that do to that muscle? What does that do to you when you do that? Mm. Does that feel different? What is the right process? And again, it's all that stuff for me where you go, I no longer accept the surface level. I do some research and dig and dig and dig and dig to a point where every morning now, 30 minutes learning I do. 30 minutes. I do some research upon what I'm doing now. So I've really sort of embraced the, 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 the learning Aspects of what I am now with the physical aspect that I've always been blending those two together and um, what I'm trying, what I'm doing, I'm putting, as I've been doing this for five years now, um, I've been building notes around my own methodology, around what I've done, what my thoughts were at the time when I did something and changed something and tweaked something and what would that be useful for. And I've started to think, right, and I began to, I didn't know why we're doing it at first. Now I know. I'm going to write a book. I have no idea how to write a book, but I'm going to write a book. And i stole an idea that um, um, Bruce Lee um, did. He he wrote himself a letter that said, I am going to do this. And if you you can research and, and find out about it, I wrote myself one of these letters. Because this is a promise to myself that I'm going to do. Mm. And, and for, all, for all people who know, if you want to set a goal for yourself, say it in writing, mm. say it out loud to somebody. I because if you go public with this,
0: diamond, this is going to go out to thousands of people. So,
1: so you're going to get. <laughs> right. <laughs> what I would love, right? And here's my big, big dream. And I'm going to quote this, uh, if you don't mind. Steve Jobs said, the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones that do. Yeah. Yes. Guess what? I'm just your average person, but I believe I found something that's special, and I plan on taking that to the world. Okay. I've read stuff around the world, what the World Health Organization's put, and they've said that the biggest problem we have in today's society is musculoskeletal disorder. I believe I've got a program that can work efficiently, effectively. And I can write a book that can help people gain muscular order. And it fits in with the vision of lots of places like um, the the gym group, for instance, they believe they want to take exercise into the hall. They want to make it available to everybody. Well, I've got a program that could do that. Yeah. Now, somehow, somehow I'm going to make it happen. I might not, but in some years, I'm going to pass my research on to my children and they're going to go and they're going to try and do it because I absolutely believe in this. Right. And if we want to do something, believe it.
0: Believe in it. I, I think it's a great, great story about... Um, you know, it's a great journey you've been on, isn't it? You know, and, and relatively late in life, you know. And I, I think it's uh, it's the story that will give great encouragement to, you know, for, for anyone. You're never too... It's never too late to learn, is it? It's ne- never, never too late. Sure. And, and it, it's fantastic uh, that you have applied yourself. And And I, th- I think we've got to be quite thankful for the UK educational system, because you, you wouldn't be able to do this if you lived in Germany or France. You wouldn't have been able to have got onto a master's programme without an undergraduate degree. But well, the UK, you know, started back in the nineteen sixties with the um, Institute of Work Based Learning has sort of pioneered this belief that it's possible to learn academically in the workplace as well as at university. Um, but but what your story is is kind of is has demonstrated is just the reason why this approach is is so valid, you know. That if you could get this belief that everyone can do stuff, you know, provided you teach them how to think and how to critically reflect, and you open up those those um, germ of an idea, and look, look where it's taken you. I mean, it's uh, it's incredible. I think it's a very inspiring story, Simon. So yeah. it's not over yet. It's not yeah. over. Yeah. I, I, yeah.
1: I, I, there's loads, of, loads of breath to go. I love it. I'm yeah. doing a coaching course at the minute. Yeah. So I, again, I'm just I, the thirst for knowledge. It, it's unquenchable yeah. once you open up your brain to yeah. thinking different. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I found it just incredible. Like yeah. I said, life life's about making the most of it.
2: Yeah.
1: So I I implore anybody out there, don't doubt yeah. yourself. Just 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 do it.
0: And is this? I mean, we're going to ask you as we sort of come. Towards the end of the podcast interview, if there are any you know what what are the key takeaways you know are there, you know the key messages that you would you would like to leave our listeners with as a, as, you know as, as a reflection of the amazing journey that you've been on and I, I I know that you've spoken about this as we've been going through, but what would be the three key takeaways?
1: Three key takeaways. Whew. I think probably um believe in yourself. Okay. Emotional intelligence really understands you, what you want and what don't settle. Yeah. Don't settle. Yeah. You are more than capable. We are more than capable of being more than what we are. So yeah. my my that's my first point. Really believing yeah. yourself. Because we have, um, you know, it's, it's
0: the reason why we start off on the master's program, you know, with that very first module is thinking innovatively about sales leadership. And it, uh, and it's an exploration of the sort of core values and beliefs. And and, and we believe, exactly as you've just said, that you, you can't transform unless you really connect. At, at, at a deep level, and what I, I, you know, what you've done is you've taken the emotional intelligence framework and you've used that to examine yourself. You know, that's yeah. great. That's really good. So that's one takeaway: believe in yourself.
1: Yeah. Uh, secondly, um, learn to reflect. Yeah. And in that. Truly, truly be critical about what you've done and what, why you did it. Yeah. Because only through that critical reflection will you improve, will you get better. Yeah. And my my second point would, would be aim every day to be 1% better. Mm. So I do it, I make sure it happens. Yeah. I get up. The very first thing I do at five o'clock in the morning is do 30 minutes learning. I don't wait until later on in the day I don't give myself a position to excuse being 1% better every day. Yeah. Okay. That's the second thing.
0: It And I, and again, that's it. For those that are doing the Masters, this idea of critical reflection is is part of the, the standard lexicon, if you like, of the programme. But for people who haven't been through the Masters, you think, well, we think all the time. You know, we, we think. Well, of course we think because that's what we do. But critical reflection is taking that level of thinking to another you know it's taking it to another level it is like thinking on steroids you know <laughs> perhaps or um and uh you know i think through, throughout this podcast you you you've demonstrated how, how you have begun to critically reflect so that's that's great i it, it, arguably it's one of the most important things that we teach on the program i think it's the ability to inspire people like you You know, to think differently, to explore different ideas and to innovate as a consequence of it. Just love that process. Yeah,
1: that that goes back to that point, Philip, that, that, you know, the 95% of your thoughts are already pre-programmed. Already pre-programmed. Although we think all the time, we're thinking the same 95% thoughts. Stop, pause, think, change.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's number two, critical reflection. Do you have a
1: third? I do. (laughs) Learn to listen. Okay. So um, what what I have found, I've found this through the coaching course really, really, really understood it a bit better, is that lots of us listen to download listen. So either to agree with what they're saying or confirm what we believe. Yeah. We're actually truly listening to what that person is saying because the minute they say something, you know, sometimes you get people go, there's five people in a room, and all five of them hear a different story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. similar, similar frame, but all different. No, I, I didn't get that. I got this. I, go, no, I got no. I got... That's that. That's that part of your brain that you're just not, you're not listening. Stop. Stop all thought. Mm. So that's about that mindfulness of you. Don't need to have an opinion at this point. Just listen.
0: Yeah. Okay. Not an easy thing. No, it's not. It really isn't. Okay, well, that's uh, that's amazing, Simon. Well, thank you so much uh, for taking part in the podcast. Um, I, 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 I'm looking forward to the book. And um, you should consider the Finding Your Written Voice program that we may have spoken to you about. It's something with one of the lecturers at Middlesex. They've run, run this with us. And this is uh, leading people on to write books. We, we've we already got um, Grant Van Ulbricht, who has written his book published and out on personal management. But we have this year another book coming out written by four people who've been through the master's program around sales leadership. So we're beginning now to see people inspired to write like yourself. Um, But uh, but uh, I think it's an amazing story and good luck with the with 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 the with the book and with taking your concepts of of um, exercise and stretching, you know, into a new into a new level. So thank you, Simon, for joining us.
1: And I'd like to thank you for creating the whole um, sales professional leadership qualification. Yeah. Yeah, because there wasn't one. There wasn't and you one together man. with the business. So if anybody's out there with an industry and you mm. don't have a profession about it and you don't have a qualification about it, go out there and create get one. It, work yeah. with, it, build it, and get one. Thank okay. you. Thank you, Simon.